some of us, not all of us, but some of us, we uh, read Leviticus this week, and that was a tough thing. Uh, just so you know, this voice of mine, um, this is my um, late night DJ voice. Uh, this, is, this is my, welcome to, you know, I don't know, 105.5 WMUZ. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I woke up this morning, my voice was leaving me, and this is what I got, so this is what I'll use. Um, but we read Leviticus this week, and it was a tough week. Leviticus is a hard book to read. A lot of rules, a lot of ancient rituals. We're reading how the nation of Israel worshipped their God. And let's, it's far away from us. We don't worship the way they worshipped. We don't live the way they lived. They didn't, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have cars, they didn't have gas or engines. They were a people who lived off the land, very close to what they harvested and ate every day of their lives. To get us to where we need to go, I'm going to tell you a story. When I was a young man, when I was dating Angie, um, I used to, she lived in Marlette, Michigan. Well, north of Marlette. What's it called again? Kingston, Michigan. I always forget. It's Marlette, the big side. Kingston's the little side. It was a 90-minute drive for me to go to Marlette. 90 minutes. And I'd go visit her, and I'd go see. She lived with her, her, her father, so I'd go to her, her parents. I'd go visit her, and I'd see her family. And I'd stay late on a Friday night. And the family would say, and I said, if you want, you stay the night and sleep on the couch. And I'm like, no, I always leave at like midnight, 1, 2 in the morning. And the reason was is because uh, there was only one bathroom downstairs. It was right off the kitchen. And it was a little tiny slide door bathroom, so it didn't look like it just, and everyone's around the kitchen table, and I'm not going to use that bathroom where we're going to hear you, because it's embarrassing, so I would, st- I would go there, I wouldn't drink or eat, and I'd be there until I'd go to the bathroom so bad I had to leave, and I'd drive away, I'm, this is not a lie, I'd drive away, I'd stop in the middle of the night in some random cornfield, I'd use the restroom, and keep on going home, that was my life for a year and a half, but, um, one day I'm driving home, and it's, it's a 90-minute drive home, and it's a long drive coming back from Kingston all the way to Waterford. I'm driving my big, I had this awesome ghetto van. I bought it, no lie, I bought that van for $100. That was a great and glorious van. I'm driving on the road, and I drive by this sign. And the sign says, we've all seen it, Deer Crossing, next 10 miles. You ever see those signs? I saw the sign, this warning, and I thought to myself, how do they know? Like, how do they know where the deers cross the street? And that, I literally had this, this random dialogue in my mind, like, how do you know where deer cross the street, you know? And there is a science. I didn't know any of this stuff then. I'm just like, they don't know nothing, man. I'm just driving. And as I'm talking to, my, to myself in my van, sure enough, a mile after I see that sign, out of the brush, out of the darkness, comes a good-sized doe, just, who, and I didn't see her till she was right in front of me, and I was taught, I learned from my good friends when I was driving, that when you see a deer on the road, if you can slow down, slow down, but if you can't, you kill the deer, it's between the deer and my safety, she's gonna die, you know what I'm saying, so that thing jumped out, I hit my, I hit the brake a little bit, but I, I hit that thing head on, the, my front end exploded, I'm just like, I stop, and when you hit a deer in the middle of the night, it wakes you up. Your adrenaline's flowing. You're scared. You're like, there's, it's dark. There's no one around in the middle of nowhere in Michigan. And it's like, 
Never had a deer before in my life. First time I had a deer, I put the car in park. I go out. Sure up, my front end is blown to pieces. A deer will tear your car up, you know what I'm saying? And a van is strong, so it took some hits. It took a hit. But I lost both my headlights. So I took, I took well, one headlight was dead. One was hanging down. I took the hanging down one and tied it into the middle of, the, of my grill. So I kind of had, so as I, when I finally left, it was just moving as I drove. Just this one light in the middle. But uh, I drove that thing home, dude, shoot. Uh, but uh, I actually got pulled over by a cop 20 minutes later. And uh, it's a whole thing. Anyways, that sign tried to warn me. The sign told me there are deer crossing here. And I literally was like, Bush. I was going like 65 miles an hour on a small two-lane back, back, uh, back country road and blew that thing apart. It blew my van apart, killed a poor little deer. Because I wouldn't heed the sign. Now we're going to walk through this this morning, Leviticus 16. And to make this memorable and easy to understand, I'm going to give you four classic signs that we've all seen in our lives. And these four signs will help you remember this text from Leviticus. So from Leviticus 16... Our first sign we're going to see today is a sign we've all seen. The sign is, do not enter. You ever see this sign before? It says, you can't go in this door. You can't come down this road. Do not enter. You are not welcome. Let's look at 16. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And they drew near before the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. A lot of weird words here. Let's break it down. We'll do the whole thing. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob had how many sons? Twelve sons who become the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph, the favorite son, the pampered, spoiled son, is sold into slavery in Egypt, becomes powerful, and brings his whole family to Egypt to live with him. But, as Exodus tells us, a new pharaoh rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And those 70 came in, the Hebrews had lots and lots of babies. The Egyptians were scared of them, so they enslaved the Israelites. For 400 years, they're under the stinking whip and the chain. And finally, God raises up a deliverer named Moses. And Moses faces Pharaoh, and Moses says, let my people go. After ten plagues, they leave Egypt. And they wander to the wilderness. They come to the Mount of God. We receive the Ten Commandments, the law. Now at the Mount of God, they receive the Ten Commandments, but they're also told how to worship. God says to them, you need to make a tabernacle in the wilderness. You got to build kind of like a church in the wilderness. 
And this tent is not like a huge Coleman tent. What it is really instead is you have like a base with a pole in it. The base has like a flat, heavy thing. You got a pole, another base, and a pole. And there's a pole between the two poles. And you hang a curtain on it. If you build a lot of those, you build a wall, right? You build kind of a walled structure made of fabric. That's the courtyard of the tabernacle. That's the courtyard of this outdoor church, the place where Israel would worship. This, this church, whenever Israel would camp in the wilderness, everyone camped around God's tent. God's tent was in the center of the encampment. In the courtyard, there's altars. And the priests of Israel would come to these altars and offer sacrifices. In the middle of this courtyard, there is an actual closed Coleman tent. Not open to the air, but actual ceiling closed room. You walk in this place, it is called the holy place. If you walked into the holy place, you would see there's a, a table for bread. There's a candlestick, a place to wash your hands. And then there's a big, thick curtain. And behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. They called, this, the whole tent was called the holy place. Behind the curtain was the most holy place. And God said, nobody comes in to the most holy place. Because that's where I live. The Ark of the Covenant is where God's glory dwells. Remember the movie, Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark? At the very end, they take the top off the Ark, and the, the power of God melts those guys' faces off. Remember that? That thing is in that room, and God's like, I'll melt your face if you come in here. Do not, that's why, that's why Indiana Jones is like, cover your eyes. They knew. You don't want to see the glory of God because it will melt your face off. I don't know if that's biblically true, but it feels true. Now, God says, do not enter. Nobody can come into God's presence. There's a line, and you can't cross that line. And this has been a theme for the entire Bible. In the garden, when God made the world, Adam and Eve dwell near the Lord. The Bible says that God would walk around the garden in the cool of the day. God was approachable, accessible. What's up, Lord? He's right there. But when sin enters the world, Adam and Eve are exiled from God's presence. God puts an angel guarding the way back in, and he's like, you can't come back to me. And the, then from, from Genesis all the way to now, to Leviticus, people long to know the Lord. They miss him. They know they need him, but they don't know how to get back to him. Because the sin of humanity, our uncleanliness, we can't come back to the Lord. Every civilization, every civilization on the planet has felt this pull towards the gods, towards God. The Native Americans worship the sun and the moon and the wolf. Every, every civilization in the world thought, we know there's something there, we don't know how to get to it, let's make something up. 
They try to find a way to get back to the God they've been exiled from. Because the sign says, do not enter. You cannot come in. Even if you were a Hebrew encamped around God's tent and you knew God lived right over there, you couldn't go to his house and knock on the door. Because the sign says, do not enter. It goes on though. Verse 3. But there is a way that Aaron can come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. So the sign says, do not enter. But it also kindly, it kind of says, staff only. You ever see those kind of signs before? The uh, uh, admitted, we have this picture coming up. Restricted area, authorized personnel only. It's like when you go to a restaurant and there's a sign on the kitchen door saying staff only. Restricted access only. I can't just go back in the kitchen at a restaurant and be like, hey man, extra pepper on my eggs for me, would you? You can't do it. You can't cross the line. It's a staff only in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? So God says, listen, you can't come before me. I'll tell you what I'm going to do though. I'm going to let one person come into my presence. The high priest of Israel can come before me. Not just any priest, because there's a lot of priests. You see, what happens is there's 12 sons of Israel and one of the kids named Levi. Levi set apart, and God says, Levi, you're not going to be farmers. You're not going to be builders. Levi, you're going to be the priest before my, my stinking ark. You're in, charge, you're in charge of caring for all God's stuff. So the, the, the Levites become the priests of Israel. And honestly, the generosity of the other 11 tribes, tribes supports the Levites so they can live. They don't so the Levites serve as priests. But the priest can't even go in the holy place. But the high priest can. Aaron the brother of Moses is the high priest of Israel. He's got a really fancy outfit. If you if you want to Google and look it up, he's got I mean a tunic and a cool belt and this crazy chest plate and two rocks he it's like it's a it's he's got a turban on his head he's the high priest of israel and god says that one person can come before me and he is a mediator between you and me now in the bible because there's, because there's a do not enter sign god will allow mediators to go between God and the people. A go-between. I had a buddy of mine. He, uh, he's kind of a shy dude in his own way. He started dating a girl. And I saw, I saw him. I'm like, man, you got a girlfriend. He's like, yeah, I got a girlfriend. I'm like, tell me the story, man. How'd you charm her? How'd you, how'd you, how'd you get this girlfriend? And he told me the awesomest, lamest junior high story ever. She worked at another place. That he, re- he worked here. She worked over there. And he saw her and she thought she was cute. Told one of his buddies, go, go talk to her and ask her if she's single. So he went over there. Oh, my buddy was wondering if uh, you got a boyfriend. No, he, he, you know, and they come back. She said no. And they, they back and forth, right? And that person was the go-between, right? That person was the mediator. 
Because people cannot enter God's presence, God would allow a mediator to bring messages to and from himself. Moses was a mediator. You mean a lot of people who stand in the gap to bring messages back and forth. Now, this is, this is a step in the right direction, but it's also kind of tough because if I, need, if I need the Lord, if I'm a Hebrew little boy and my mama's sick and I want to go to God, I can't just go to God. i got to come to the front door of the tabernacle. I tell a priest, excuse me, Mr. Priest, sir, can you tell the Lord my mama's sick? There is a there's wall separating us and the great God of heaven. I'm still unclean. He is still holy. And if I go before his presence, I will die. So I must go to a mediator. And Aaron the high priest is that mediator. One person comes into God's presence. And he can't do it. Let's say there's a famine. Let's say there's a disease. Let's say there's a war coming. And Aaron's like, we need the Lord's help today. That's too bad, because the next sign says, no parking anytime. Except, I put the sign up, it said, no parking anytime. Now, in Chicago, we have really funny signs. You know these signs, Moses. Um, if you go to Chicago, try to go downtown and park, if you park in a garage, it's like 30 bucks a night to park in a garage in the city of Chicago. So if I go there for a week, I'm dropping 150 bucks just to store my car. So if you look for a spot, you can park it and leave it all week. So I pull into downtown, looking around, I see a spot, and I'm just like, parallel park, because I'm awesome, and I parallel park, and I leave my car, and I'm like, come back for you Friday, baby, be good, and I leave. I come back Friday, ready to go home after a hard week of studying and learning. I go, and my car's not there. Where's my car? I call the police. Uh, police? I call number one, I'm like, someone stole my car. What kind of car is it? I'm like, it's a 1985. It's an old crappy car I had. But it was still like someone stole it. So I tell the cop all the information. He looks at his computer. He goes, oh, your car's at the impound. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I go at the corner of this street I parked on. There's a sign. And the sign said, no parking between the hours of 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. You parked there at night. But you had to move it for the rush hour. I didn't know. So rush hour came, everyone else that knew left. It was my one car there. They told me, and they made me pay 380 bucks to get my car back. A lot of signs in Chicago, you had to read the signs carefully. No parking, it's on Wednesdays between 2 and 1, and the holidays between 8 and 4. It's just wild, the signs in Chicago. So God says, Aaron can come before my presence, but only on one day a year. Listen to this. 16 verse 29. It shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and do no work, either the native or the sojourner who sojourns among you. For on this day, on this one day, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. And you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So the high priest, one guy, staff admittance only, can go before the God one day a year. There's a famine, don't matter. There's a war, don't matter. I can go into God's presence 
Aaron could go into God's presence on one day a year, the day of atonement, the day the Hebrews called Yom Kippur. Ever heard of that? Yom Kippur? That's this holiday. This holy day is a, it's still to this day a Jewish holiday. So the high priest, once a year, could enter God's presence as a mediator on behalf. And here's the deal. When the high priest entered into God's presence, the high priest offered a sacrifice. He had two goats. One goat he killed. And he killed that goat for the sins of the nation. He cut its, cut its throat, put the blood upon the altar, and it died that the people may live. The other goat he put his hand on and he spoke the sins of the people out loud. And they sent that goat into the wilderness and it was called the scapegoat. Ever heard that word before, the scapegoat? That thing bore our blame and went walking into the wilderness and it was cursed. So one person, one day a year, entered God's presence for all the nation. Now, this is a step in the right direction, but it's still very limited. Fast forward to the Messiah. Fast forward to Jesus. There's a reason we say that Jesus is good news. Remember, the sign says, do not enter. But we have a new sign. A sign that gives us great hope. And that sign says one way. There is now a way to get to God. There's only one way, though. Here in Flint, we know one-way signs, don't we? All over this town, there are one-way streets. I, dude, I can't tell you how many times I've been driving in the city, and some poor tourist, not, not tourist, no one's coming here for tourism, but someone's visiting our city for some reason. They're here. And someone doesn't know that Garland is one way. That's the, they don't know that a lot, a lot of our streets are one way. So they, I see that someone turn towards me, and I'm and I, not even anger. I just, I just like, dirt, 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 letting you know you're going the wrong way. You're going to get a head-on collision. This street is not a two-way street. God says, after history moves forward for thousands of years, God says, I'm going to make a way for people to come into my presence. I'm making a way for the average human person to know me. And that one way is through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Therefore, Christ had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. Also, to make atonement for the sins of the people. What does this one verse say? It says this. Jesus is a better high priest and Jesus is a better sacrifice than goats. First, he's a better high priest. Back in the day, one guy in really fancy clothes could go before the mercy seat. Well, Christ, and that, that, that one high priest, there's an old legend. The Jews have a legend that say the high priest would tie a rope around his own leg. 
that if he went into the holy place and fell down dead, they could pull his body out. Because going into God's presence is very dangerous. It's very, he's very powerful. And as we said earlier, he'll melt your face off. So what happens is the high priest is very limited. He must, make, he must clean himself well and then go in in fear and trembling for the nation. Well, Christ, as a high priest, has no sin to wash off. Our high priest is worthy and come before the Lord with great confidence. And he brings all of us into the Father's presence. Literally, when Jesus Christ died, the curtain, so when Christ dies outside Jerusalem, across town, in the temple, History records that the veil that covered the ark ripped down the middle and fell down. What does that mean? It means we don't need some priest to let us in anymore. Through Christ, we can all access the Father. Listen, last, uh, two nights ago, a few nights ago, my dog started barking in the middle of the night. That happens. You know, sometimes my dog barks for squirrels or rabbits or whatever in the middle of the night. She started barking pretty heinously in the middle of the night, and I heard someone pounding on my front door. So I wake up, and I hear the dog going nuts. I hear noise at the front door. It's like 1 in the morning. And two things happen when that happens. One, there's adrenaline. I armed myself. I girded myself for war. I thought if something happens right now, I'm prepared to face it. There's that protective instinct, you know what I'm saying? So on one hand, there is, I don't know what you call it, like bloodlust. On the other hand, there's fear. What's going on? What's out there? Is there more than one person? Is there a weapon? Is there a gun? Like, you, just, you don't know what's happening. So I get up. I go to the stairs. I make my way down the stairs. As I'm going down the stairs... You know what I do? What would you do? If I was a young Hebrew boy in the desert, I'd need to go to the tabernacle. Because we are in Christ, in that moment, in the middle of the night, I didn't call somebody like, you know, Bishop so-and-so, tell God I'm in trouble. In that, in that moment, in my PJs, I could be like, I could just literally in my mind be like, Lord, I need you, and I need you right now. I need you here. My prayer, honestly, I'm like, Lord, let no one get hurt this night. Not my family, not the guy outside this door. I don't want to hurt somebody. I don't want to send someone to the, the hospital or the morgue. And thank the Lord, I don't know if it's my dog or God's spirit, but that dude just left and just ran away. And I was like, But because Christ is our high priest, we can go to him anytime, any day. I can go to him at the bus stop, before bed, before a meal. Christ allows us to go before the Father whenever we want. Not only that. Back in the day, the high priest had to offer a goat every single year. We were never really clean. Whenever I sinned against God, 
I made myself unclean and I needed someone to kill a new animal so I'd be, so I'd be recalled clean again. It's a scary place to live. I'm clean. Oh, shoot. I spilled some sauce on me. I'm unclean again. That's a hard place to live. Always messing up my clothes every day, you know? I'm using clothes as a weird reference to clean and unclean. I apologize. It's like doing your laundry, and as soon as your shirt comes out of the laundry, you put it on, you just eat some salsa, and it's like, bloop, unclean, that fast. It's a hard place to live. But Jesus Christ, when he died, he died once and for all, which means I don't need a new sacrifice every day or every month or every year. Christ died once and for all, and him dying allows me to live. He died for all the sins I've ever committed, all thy sins I am committing, and for every sin I will commit. He died for the sins of my 30s and my 40s and my 50s and my 70s and so on and so forth. Christ died once and for all. Our, our Savior is a better high priest, and he is a better sacrifice. And that's the good news. The good news of Jesus is that he dies and gives us life. And through him, we have life with the Father. I want to end by saying this. A lot of people think that Christ died to give me heaven. A lot of people live as though, well, I've met Jesus, and someday I'll meet him and the Father when my heart stops beating. Christ did not die for you to have heaven. Christ died for you to have the Father. And that starts now. That starts in this life. And we need him in this life because this life is hard. It's hard. It's lonely. It wears us down. Me and my daughter listened to a song the other night. The song was called Climb on a Back That's Strong. Yesterday, uh, the kids, we all went to uh, Planet 3, the trampoline park. And the kids ran solid for 90 minutes. I sat in a chair and watched them. I was like, oh, man, I'm tired. Like, just watching them. I was like, whoo. I, I need to go take a nap. Like, they're, they just, they're just sweating, running. Their faces are all red. It's crazy. So we come home, and one of our parents, the Klauses, they come to get their daughter. And she comes out, and she sees her dad. She just goes, Dad, carry me. And she falls in his arms. Carry me home. I'm so tired. So dramatic. I loved it. And he just carries her. Oh, okay. Like it's, uh, my kids do it sometimes too. The kids will be, will get home late from somewhere. And my son or my daughter will be like, Daddy, carry me in the house. I'm like, all right. You don't carry him in. It's harder every year. Um, I don't know what's happening. I don't think I'm getting weaker or something. I don't know. But listen, as a kid, it's great to fall in the arms of our parents. When we grow up, there's no one there to carry us. We feel like I'm alone fighting this battle. But if you're in Christ, we can let the Father carry our hurts. We can cast our cares upon him. Christ did not die for heaven. Christ died and we may know the Father right here and right now. And he is good. And we need him. We need him. So I encourage you. Christ wants to be your high priest, your mediator. Christ died that you may live, that you may know the Father. So follow Christ. Obey Christ. Seek Christ. Talk to Christ. Christ, we are called Christians because we love Jesus. So with that said,
Let us pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day and for your word that is true. We went back in time this morning, back to the wilderness, the desert, and saw one of the first steps you took to bring humanity back. But Lord, we are so grateful you did not leave us at this first step. That you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who died that we may live. Draw all people unto yourself, O oh Lord. Let us bow our heads with grateful hearts at your great sacrifice and your great work on our behalf. We love you very much, Jesus. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.